Hello and welcome back to the Steph Gorton Show. I have a new friend that I have made recently here today and this woman has come into my world kind of like a hurricane because I have brought her in at one stage for a workshop on leadership for my team and then all of a sudden she's on the podcast and now she's running a workshop for my clients as well and all the, I just can't get enough of the guest that we're having on the podcast today. Welcome to the podcast, Shelly Johnson. <laughs> People could see my face. I'm like loving this intro so much. Thanks, Steph, for having me. I'm so stoked. I feel like the hurricane is mutual. (laughs) You're coming to my world and I'm like loving every single thing you're putting out there. And I'm like, okay, this is a mutual hurricane that we're just like in this vibe of yes. (laughs) Worlds literally collided. (laughs) Totally. So guys, for those of you listening, obviously, Shell is the founder of Boldside, the leadership and HR agency for fast growing businesses. Her mission is to build leaders that they'll want to follow and teams they'll never want to leave. She has led large HR teams for over a decade, coaching executives to stand out leaders and build a culture that has people talking and applying. And I love this because, especially in female entrepreneurship, leadership is something that almost takes a backseat in growing brands and cultures. And I think often when we're building our businesses, we don't plan on growing teams. We're kind of just like, oh, I start this little thing out from home. And then, like you said, fast growing businesses. So we're hiring teams all of a sudden and we're bringing all these people on board. And all of a sudden we're like, shit, I guess I've got to be a boss now. Like, what the heck does that mean? You know? And so you help people, especially like entrepreneurs in that messy middle period where they're on from being owner operator to being like founder and leader and CEO. It's such a weird transition, Steph, because I think what happens is we're doing the work. We start a business, we're the founder, and we're in the doing bit, and we're like executing, and we're working our ass off. And all of a sudden, we're like, crap, I need to hire people. And we start that process of hiring people, but we haven't maybe made the transition mentally of going from the doer to the leader as a team. And the impact of that is massive, right? Because when we start to bring on people, we really need to step into a different mindset as an entrepreneur, where instead of doing the work, we're leading the team to do the work. But that's painful because often the reason why we get into it in the first place is because we love the doing, like we love the actual day-to-day client-facing stuff, but your team can't scale that way with you being the only person doing that. So Mm. we need to make a transition, but often our experience of leadership in most cases or in many cases, we've worked for leaders and we think, oh, gee, I don't want to do it that way. We've seen other leaders in our world and we're like, oh, I'm not sure about that. But we don't have a lot of reference points for really strong leaders. Mm. Especially as women, it can be hard because we feel like we need to be two things. We feel like we need to tick the boxes of being nice and kind and really empathic. But then when we step into leadership, we need to be bold, courageous, brave. And sometimes we don't know how to do both of those things at the same time. And I do think that in society, we do have a lot of examples of good female leaders. But I can really only speak from my personal experience and a lot of my clients, we probably haven't worked for them. So is it just an enigma that they're putting out online? Are they actually good leaders? What does actual good leadership look like? Because in my experience, I never worked for a good leader. I've never had a good leader. And all leaders I've had have been trying their hardest, of course, but, you know, maybe not so helpful. And so when you step into leadership for yourself, you're like, I know I don't want to do it that way, but I don't know how else to do this because... Everything that's been shown to me in 100% of my experience has been something opposite. 
And so finding that path of true leadership that does marry the bold and the brave and the courageous with the kindness and the love and the empathy, it takes some time. And, and the reason I want to bring Shell on here today with you guys is because Shell came and did a presentation for myself and my team on what great leadership was so that we could be the best leaders for our clients that we could be. And in our worlds and in our businesses, you really have a gift for bringing the love and heart into the toughness of sometimes what it means to be a leader. So for anyone who doesn't know Shelley Johnson, can you please tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got started in the world of leadership? Yeah, so my background is HR and I've always been obsessed with the weirdness that is people. Like for my whole life, I've loved weird people stuff. And so when you get a HR, you have to really like that because there's so much people drama and anyone who's led a team knows people are just weird. Like it's so weird. Do- we're all so weird, right? Like, I'm weird, you're weird, we're all weird. But yeah. that's the awesomeness of leading a team. If you can leverage it and actually use it to your team's advantage, it can be really cool. So I've just loved working in the HR space and I really got focused on leadership and specifically around this idea of how do we help leaders have difficult conversations? Uh, so for me, one of the common themes I've seen over all the teams that I've worked with, all the clients I've worked with, has been most leaders struggle to have difficult conversations because we care. We care about our business. We care about the people that work for us. We want the best for them. And when it comes to the crunch time of making tough calls in our business, so let's think about we need to restructure a role or we need to change up our strategy or we need to end someone's employment because they're not performing like those things are some of the toughest, most stressful things that you have to deal with in your business. Uh-huh. And I think the two things, if I think about the most difficult things that we face as business owners, the number one thing is money. Like how is the business financially performing? And the uh-huh. next most stressful thing is do I have the right people? And having the right people often comes down to how are we creating the culture that attracts great employees in and yep. how do I develop people to become even better? And that is equal parts art and science. So for me, getting into this zone of leadership and HR has really been about how do I help leaders become followable? Like how do Mm. we help leaders become followable, become people that you go, you know what, I want to follow them wherever they're going. And I think Jacinda Ardern has shown us that you can have heart, empathy, authenticity, kindness, and really strong leadership. She's done so much for showing us how we can do those both things really well. So I think Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right when you said there's a lot of great female leaders out there and we need to start to realise that we don't have to be one or the other. We don't have to be really hard-lined, very kind of like not relationally driven. We can be super empathic and make those gutsy big calls for our business and do both things at the same time. But it's art and science. We have to build that skill set and practice. And so that's a big thing that I do in my business is help leaders to do that regularly. And so as a business owner who I think most of the entrepreneurs that will be listening to this podcast will be somewhere in the middle here where they might have a VA or like one contractor in their business or they might have a team of people or they might be thinking about having a team of people. I know that when we were just off air before, we kind of spoke about what it really means to have values, right? And the behaviors of a leader. And I think that sometimes in the busyness of doing all the things that we do can get really caught up in doing that 
after the fact. So after we've hired people, like at the point where we're having those really hard conversations and they're going, shit, I probably should have figured this out before I even hired this person. I think that's where so often hiring goes wrong in the initial phases is because you're not super clear on what is expected and the values of the business and the behaviors that you expect from a team member and that you hold yourself accountable to as well. So talk to me about how values and behavior drive leadership in a business or in any kind of team culture. I think about your values, they're like your anchor. So if you think about values in an organisation, they're like the thing that you cling to when things go wrong. And often values come to light in those painful moments. So let's say you lost a big client or a big contract and you think, okay, what do we do? Well, your value as a person might be, well, in difficult times, I rally and I just start to innovate and I really go back to how do we do this differently? How do I learn from failure? How do I learn from really tough stuff? So that might be one of your personal values is learn through failure. But if you've got a team of people who maybe don't align with that, that can cause some conflict. So your value as a leader might be that, but then you've got people in your team that are like, play it safe or do the bare minimum. And that's very counter to your own approach as a leader and as a business owner. So what we want to do is we want to work out for you personally, what are your core values? What are the non-negotiables you need in your business from a team, from yourself? Like what are those things? So that's the deep work. I usually define it as five core values. What are those five core values? For one of my clients recently, we defined one and it's learn, grow, repeat. That's what we do nonstop every day. We learn, we grow, and we just repeat that cycle. We're okay with failure as long as we grow from it. We did a culture playbook for them. And in their culture playbook, it says, if you don't want to learn, it's not going to work here. <laughs> like, yeah. it's upfront. It's very direct. It's like, if you don't want to learn and grow, you're not going to like it here. Mm-hmm. And so what that says to someone when you're recruiting, you bring that interview question out in your recruitment. You say, hey, one of our values is learn, grow, repeat. Tell me about a time where you failed and it was painful and you had to really pull your socks up and learn from it. And... Mm-hmm. What you want is to assess, does that person have that value? Is Mm. their values alignment? And when you get that values alignment, you don't have those weird conflicts that come up later on where you're like, holy crap, we've just had a a massive issue and this person doesn't give a crap about it, but they don't care. And you're so spot on, Steph. You want to know that before you start hiring. So do that deep work. Define your non-negotiables. For me, the question I would ask, and if you're listening right now and you haven't defined your values, Write down this question. What do we want to be known for as a team? What Mm. behaviours do we want to be known for? And that speaks to when a client is interacting with your VA or when a client's interacting with your marketing assistant, how do you want them to behave? How do you want them to show up? If one of your values is we have fun, well, that should be replicated in the comms, in the copy, in every aspect of how you're engaging as a team. So it's not just a branding exercise. Like often when we're in that startup phase, we're thinking really about the external brand. We're not thinking about internally, how are we living this out? Like Um, how do our team live this out? How do they behave? So it's a really crucial exercise of define the values. What are the non-negotiables for you? And then when we recruit, when we hire in, we need to make sure each person aligns with that. Absolutely. And I think that that exercise, like, you know, at the very beginning, someone was like, what are your values as a brand? And I just like whipped five words together, <laughs> like integrity and like just words that like, you know, other people use all the time. And like, to be fair, integrity is like pretty high on my values list, to be completely honest. 
What I learned very early on in my personal brand is I think anyone who has a personal brand, you need to be really aware that you are a leader, okay? And people are looking to you for information and advice if you have a personal brand of some sort. And when you're sharing opinions and thought leadership online, one thing that I used to get really scared about what I could and couldn't say online, right? Because at some point you're going to get trolled and that will happen. And so the way that this played in for me, not just with my team, and the reason I developed my values and behaviors quite early on was because I was like, if I can speak to things that are in my value system online publicly, I can always stand behind it. Because if it aligns with my values, then I know that in my heart of hearts, it's truth for me and it's something that I really support and believe. And so then no matter what comes at me, I don't have to second guess myself. I can go, you know what, that is actually in my value system and it's what is true for me. So in that space, like even if you are owner operated right now, having those values, not just for when you grow, not just for when you lead teams, not just when you're hiring, so important, but even for the thought leadership that you're putting together in your day-to-day operations and the way that you communicate with your own clients and the rules that you make for yourself in regards to things like even boundaries, uh, mm. it's so important to have these you know, values and behaviors mapped out. Totally. I love that so much. It's really interesting as you're, as you're sharing that then of like, knowing your values and really having them articulated you start to assess everything you do against them so for me like it's just reminded me we're in the process right now of like lots of growth in my business I'm just about to hire someone for me it's quite a big decision because it's it's expensive it's got all these kind of things attached and you start to freak out and you get all those imposter syndrome and fear and all those things that come to the surface that you're like oh gee I haven't seen that for a while and all of a sudden it bubbles up and I went back to my values just recently and looked at them. And one of my, my number one value in my business is take the bold road. And I had to come back and look at my decision with hiring and going, if I don't hire, am I taking the bold road or am I playing it safe? And it gives me a decision-making tool. And I'm like, no, to hire this person it's a big call. There's a risk attached because there's cash flow. There's all these things that we have to think about that like we, you know, making payroll, all the stresses of business, right? Yeah. But yeah. We look at our values and I go, what is my decision-making matrix? I look at yeah. that and I go, I'm going to take the bold road because that's who I am. That's who my totally. business is set up to be. So knowing your values as a business owner and as a leader is so crucial for you when you get to those tough decisions. Yeah, I could not agree more. And I'm so excited for you. And it's so funny, you'll know this so true right now, is that you can know all the info and have all the stuff, right? And for anyone listening, like you will be the genius of what you do in your niche, right? Like you could be a social media manager and you could be like the best social media manager in the world. Like you could be a copywriter, you could be the best copywriter in the world. But the minute it comes to doing your own thing, like the minute it comes to like doing the thing that you're like writing your own copy or doing your own social media or you're incredible at leadership and like people, right? And the minute it comes to like making your own people or doing your own thing, <laughs> it's like so hard. It's like everything you know just disappears from your brain and you're just like making totally not normal ways of thinking that don't make sense because you're like, I know though. Like, exactly. You're so spot on. I've recruited for so many years. Like I've hired like thousands of people. Here I am hiring one person going, oh my gosh, is this going to, you know, you're absolutely right. It's so crazy. It's the thing, though. It's why everyone needs people in the world, right? Because they support them and help them to see because like business is such an emotional, you are so deeply attached to it. And so, of course, when you make big decisions like this, they become emotional decisions. And sometimes when we're emotional, our logic brain is just like, la, 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 la. 
And so we don't get to really make those logical decisions as well as we usually would, which is why values specifically will really help with bringing your logic back in and your heart space back in and that decision making. Mm. So what makes a good leader? What do you yes. think? Like when you speak about Jacinta Ardern, because like total girl crush and like, I'm like, come and lead Australia. Please help us. What do you look at that makes a good leader? What are some of the foundational elements that you think show great leadership? Yeah, there's a few things that make a good leader. For me, I focus on key things like clarity. Clarity is one thing that makes a good leader, being clear. And this is really funny because clarity is not very sexy. Like often we think about good leaders and we're like, they communicate with influence. Like they're out there, they're public speaking, they're doing these things. I'm like, you know, actually good leaders are clear. They're very clear about what they're going after. And when we're not clear, our teams lose focus, they lose productivity, they lose initiative because they don't know what we're going after. And if you think about a team playing a sport, so let's say AFL is AFL big in Perth. I'm from New South Wales, so we're into rugby league over here. But any team, any sporting team, let's talk AFL, they have a scoreboard. They know what they're going after. It's very clear. They know the rules. So then they can take initiative, they can develop their skills because they know what they need to do to win. But often Mm. as leaders, we lack some of that clarity. We think people can read our mind. We think people know what we want from them and they don't. (laughs) They're not mind readers. They don't know what we want unless we tell them. So we need to be super clear, not sexy. It's huge Mm. for good leadership. So clarity, number one. The second thing we need to be is a coach and a guide. So less advice giving and more coaching. And one of the things I do in in my leadership programs is talk about how do we move from being the person that feels like we have to do everything to the person that coaches other people to do the thing. I don't know about you, Steph, but I'm like a total control freak. (laughs) Releasing control is really hard. Like how do you find that? Like releasing control over your baby of beautiful business. It's been interesting. I've met most of my clients will sit in the same camp, right? Like 90% of female business owners that I have met so far have sat in this camp. And I feel like a bit of a black sheep. And I think that's because I naturally, as a human being, I'm, I'm naturally pretty disorganized. I'm naturally pretty reactive to things. And I tell myself I work best under stress, even though I actually don't. But like, you know, I've kind of grown up being like very much like, oh, on the fly. Like I kind of work best just on the fly. And so because of that, things that I've put out in my entire life have very rarely been perfect. And I'm pretty cool. I'm pretty okay with that. However, I have learned over the years of coaching that I am the exception and not the rule. And so most people are the opposite. My advice would be like, I'll just let your team do it, which is not advice for somebody in the same space as you. It's not that simple. It's not as easy just taking your hands off the wheel and letting it go. And so I've had to learn how to coach that, coach through that to create new neural pathways that are open to seeing things from a different perspective and There's a whole pattern of conversation that needs to happen to help somebody start to feel in their body and soul comfortable with letting go of the wheel. Oh, 100%. And I think there's a lot of ego tied up in being a control freak. We have to let go of the ego. And Ryan Holiday's book, Ego is the Enemy, I'd encourage anyone to grab it. It's a really, really good book. And for me, I'm a perfectionist. And so at the root of perfectionism and my control freak nature is ego and When I came to terms with that, it helped me to kind of let it go of going, you know what, by controlling this, I'm saying I'm the only person that can do this. And that's just fundamentally not true. Mm. Heaps of people can do leadership stuff. Heaps of people can do HR. 
And so I need to let go of the control and go, okay, well, what is the one thing that only I can do? And how do I do more of that and less of all the other stuff? And how do I actually be clear with my team about the expectations and then give them autonomy to do those things? So it's really about going back to what we talked about at the beginning. We need to live in the tension of I set really clear goals and then I give my team space to deliver them Mm. and I coach them through the challenges. So for me and anyone who's listening who's not like Steph, who's naturally able to coach and release the control, we can ask ourselves some really good questions and ask our team good questions. And there's a great book by Michael Bungay-Stenia called The Coaching Habit. And he has five really good questions for leaders. But my favorite one in that is, what is the real challenge for you here? And I think we can ask our team, when they come to us with problems, our natural response is, okay, give me that problem, I'll solve it and give it back to you once it's solved. Instead, if we want to build our leadership muscle, we need to allow that person to solve their own problems. So when they come to you with a problem, instead of jumping in to fix it for them, I want you to try this thing. Just stop breathe and say back to them, what's the real challenge for you here? And get them to start thinking, okay, what is the problem? Get them to articulate what the problem is. Okay, what would you do to solve that? And it's going to take all this discipline. It's going to take a lot of discipline to not try to take it back because you'll think, gee, I could do this quicker, faster, easier. But that's short-term thinking. The Mm. long game is I need to build up the capacity, the capability of my team so that I don't keep getting sucked into these same problems all the time. I'm so glad that you referenced the long game because I'm just a huge fan of the long game. And I actually got uh, a message from my team last week and they were like, I was out just going to the post office and they were like, Steph, we're in a meeting right now, my operations manager and my sales team leader. And they were like, we need you to jump in, we need you to weigh in on something. And so I, you know, before I got out of the car, I just hopped on this Zoom meeting and I was like, cool, what's up? And they asked me a question and even though I'd made space and time to get on, to answer the specific question that they had asked, my response back was, well, what would you do? Because I need to coach them and, and I want to hear what their thoughts are. I want to hear what they would have done if I wasn't there and wasn't able to make that decision. And then tell them that probably actually and empower them, like mostly that was 100% right. Or, you know, here's maybe what I would do differently and here's why. It gives me the opportunity to explain how and why I'd make that decision. So next time it comes to making that decision, they're going to be more empowered to be like, well, Steph will do it this way because X. So I'm going to, you know, and it's so easy to jump on in that moment, even though I was like rushing around, I was going to the post office, I had shit to do, I was getting on my phone to just jump in and answer the question for them. But that's not what ultimately gives me the freedom to live my life long term. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love that. But I only learned that recently. It's something that, you know, has taken me a long time to learn, especially because my ego is the opposite to yours. Your ego is like needing for things to be perfect. My ego is needing for me to be right. And so something that I've had to let go of over the years is especially in coaching. It's one of the reasons why I went to coaching. I was like, I'm so clever. I have all the right answers, you know. Over the years, I had to realize that actually the answer that is true for you is the answer. And so helping my clients to tap into the truth that is in them is so powerful. Yeah, I love that. And you know what? I love the self-awareness around your own ego. I think great leaders are very self-aware about their own ego and how it impacts them. So just calling Mm. out that of like the need to be right. If you don't know you've got a problem with that, that's a big blind spot Mm. because your team live in the wake of that 
But I think, totally. Steph, what you're saying is you've done such a deep self-awareness journey to know how you show up and then go, okay, cool, well, I need to counter that because mm. if I allow that behaviour to continue, well, that can railroad your team just like my perfectionism can railroad people and cause them not to feel like they can innovate or step up. Yeah, and it could cause you to micromanage, right? And that's what we see mostly with perfectionists when they have teams is that there's this micromanaging and they feel more stressed because now they're doing two loads of work. Oh, and no one wants to work for a micromanager. That's the thing. Like, It's mm. very rare that people actually thrive under that type of style. So I love your self-awareness. I'd just love to ask you a question. <laughs> I love that this has turned into you interviewing me, but like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's go there. It. Let's go. <laughs> what helped you to identify maybe those blind spots or those areas of, I guess, the gaps that you have? What helped you to identify that? It's interesting. Shelley will tell you, just before she jumped onto this podcast, I was doing another podcast with another incredible woman who, I don't know which podcast is going to go out first, but her name is Sarah Schultz. And Shelley jumped in at the end of our podcast and we were all in this conversation together. But the reason I'm bringing that up is because the conversation I had with Sarah about brand identity, and she was like, it's all self-awareness. And now we're having a conversation about leadership and it's about self-awareness. And so this is really interesting theme, I think, in business of if you're really going to grow something, like for you to be able to identify what your brand is, and especially when you're talking about personal brand is, it's you, you know? And so you do have to know. But for me, to answer your question, I have always been very similar to you, really interested in human behavior and have a background at HR also. And I have always just found humans just really interesting. And I heard and kept hearing about this NLP when I was first starting out in business. And so I went to a seven-day NLP, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming, for anyone who hasn't heard of it. And basically, it teaches you how to understand the world, but really what it teaches you how to understand is yourself. And it was this seven-day really intensive thing, and it really dissolves ego. Like, it really digs in and dissolves ego. That's most of the work that it does and helps you to identify that the way that you are perceiving the world is in fact only through the lens that you are looking through. And so that really broke my need to be right in half because I realized that someone else's perception of the exact same situation is completely different and there's no right. There's only what you see. And so in that moment, it was that kind of really broke my understanding of needing to be right. It kind of just let me go. And it was such a freeing experience to realize that I didn't actually have to be right. Oh, so freeing. And, you know, with the process of uncovering your blind spots is freeing. I think that's the way I would describe it. One of my mentors, I don't know if he would see himself as a mentor, but I feel like he is. His name's Rowan Dredge and he runs a chart business actually. And he said to me, as a leader, you need to figure out what it's like to be on the other side of you. And I loved that expression. What is it like to be on the other side of me? What do people experience of me? And I did an exercise with my team back when I was leading a BKHR team and we got together and I just said, we went round and each person got to call attention to what it's like to, I guess, be on the other side of you. What is it like to deal with Shelley? And part of my team members was like, oh yeah, you're really abrupt and sometimes you're really harsh. And I was like, I'm really glad that you told me because I don't know what it's like to be on the other side of me. Like, I just don't know. Like, And so have someone say that, and it really helped me. I naturally lean towards directness, and so I need to be intentional with bringing the kindness. Mm. So how do we figure out what is it like to be on the other side of us? How do we get feedback from the people we work with about the things maybe we don't see in ourselves, and then use that data to grow? 
I've done some work with Preston Smiles and they have a really similar activity, but way more hectic, <laughs> that you do with like your loved ones, right? And you kind of ask your loved ones like these series of questions and that they respond back to you. And it's it's a lot like you have to basically give them permission to be as honest as possible and, you know, you won't react because it's a lot, right? Just listening to this conversation, I love that. Like, what's it like to be on the other side of me? And I cannot wait to now go and have that conversation with my team. Cannot wait. Also, slightly terrified. Yeah. Of course, because getting constructive feedback is never a comfortable or necessarily fun experience, which we try to, you know, avoid. But how do you step into the kind of leader that is comfortable having those conversations? And also, how did you navigate that? So when she gave you that feedback... How do you respond? What are the tactics? Because internally, your world might shatter. I mean, that's like abrupt is fine. Sometimes she might get, you're a downright asshole, like sometimes, you know? Or oh. sometimes you can get someone who's like, okay, well, you know, you actually really belittle me. Or mm. there might be something that comes up that you're so unaware of that actually shatters you inside. How do you hold yourself in that moment? Wow, that is an awesome question. Couple of things. So the first thing every leader needs to develop is this habit of being unoffendable. As a leader, I want to be unoffendable. And that in our current climate and culture is very rare. People get offended over the littlest things, right? So I want us as leaders, if we want to get feedback, we need to have an attitude where it's very difficult to offend me. So Steph, if you were working for me, I want you to feel like you could say anything within reason. Like pretty much there's this open... Yeah, like there needs to be respect, but like... There needs to be respect, but I am not going to get offended by you saying, Shell, you're abrupt. And I think that's a skill that I've really, really worked on and I am very difficult to offend as a Mm. leader. So... My team know that they can pretty much say whatever and I'll often laugh about it in terms of, oh, yeah, I am abrupt. I'm really sorry. But you know what? Thank you for telling me. So the first thing is build your muscle of becoming unoffendable. And the next thing is say thank you every single time you get feedback. Good, bad, ugly. Say thank you even when it hurts. A really good place to practice being unoffendable would be with your family. <laughs> like, I feel like it's so easy to get offended by your loved ones. Like, who here does not get triggered by a family member? Like there's someone in your family that you can think of right now that you're like, the person just like, every time I see them, I just want to like throw a glass at a wall. And so I think it's a really good place to like start practicing that skill of calm under pressure, cool as a cucumber, not letting water of a duck's back. So many metaphors that you could put in that space. <laughs> How many more could I use? Yeah, but I think a few. Let's get some more out there. <laughs> comment below if, if you have yeah, more. Please give us all the, all the metaphors. But you're right. Yeah, like, like, how, do, how do you develop that within your team? And one of the things I've done and encourage leaders to do when you have difficult conversations, or let's say one of your team members shares with you and they say, look, sometimes I find you a bit condescending. In that moment, acknowledge your first response. So if you feel defensive, just say, hey, thanks for your feedback. I'll be honest, right now I feel a little bit defensive, but I want to hear you. So acknowledge the emotion you feel or whatever that feeling is, and acknowledge that, but then express what is the intention underneath it. Because often our initial emotional response will be reactionary. We can't really control it. So I get defensive when someone gives me feedback. I'll actually say, okay, I want to hear you. Thank you for sharing. I can feel in myself I'm getting a bit defensive. I want to just acknowledge that and say to you, I really do want to have this conversation. Because what you're doing is you're actually disempowering that emotion from railroading the whole conversation. Um, And it takes the edge off. 
it's very vulnerable to do that. Like it's quite exposing, but it creates trust. I was talking with a leader the other day, Steph, and they're like, oh, when I get into meetings with my staff, I just get a furrowed brow and I look like I'm cranky all the time when they give me feedback. But she's like, that's my thinking face. Like that's just my thinking face. So one of the practices we've developed for her has been, well, just acknowledge what's going on for you and let people know, hey, I'm thinking, I'm not being critical. I'm just thinking. Hey, I want to open this meeting to let you guys know today that uh, no matter what you say, I'm so open to receive it. But sometimes I might look angry and that's just my thinking face. <laughs> like, just like, And that even brings humor to it. Let's just like take the edge off. And I think that's like pretty much if you want to talk about great leadership, like Brene Brown, right? Like the queen of great leadership and great conversations. And you spoke just before about the vulnerability aspect and like how can we bring that vulnerability into this conversation? And especially for female leaders, this is our jam. This is what we yeah. are going to be best at. Absolutely. And that is, you're right, it's our jam. Like we can do this masterfully, like bringing in the vulnerability. I think the thing that we have to grow in or what I see commonly is be vulnerable and strong. Like how do we do both of those things? And I know we've talked heaps about this already, but the tension that Liz Wiseman in her book Multipliers calls it this idea of safety and stretch. So how do you have a culture where people are really safe? They're safe to show up as themselves. They're safe to be who they are. But you also challenge people to grow. I think for us, how do we challenge and do that part really well? Like, how do we step into that thing of, you know what, we're safe here, I accept everyone here, and I also challenge you to grow. (laughs) I care about you as a person really deeply, and so I'm going to ask you and invite you into this growth zone. And it could be painful, it could be uncomfortable, but come on this journey with me because you're going to be better off. That is such a beautiful word track for that. I reckon that you should just write a book, Shell, and it should just be all of the leadership word tracks. Like, just give us the script. Can you just throw the manual at us, please? Like, I just want to be like, okay, so I'm going into a performance management conversation today and here are all of the phrases that I could use that would help me to be the best leader I can. There's 100% a book here for you. Have you got a book deal yet? Well, do you know what? I have been working with our copywriter at the moment on doing the scripts for every kind of performance conversation you could have. So like a messaging guys, because I think for me, like I had a leader say to me, oh, my stuff is not showing an issue. I'm like, oh, I've got a messaging guard for that. But like, because you have all these common things in your team, all these kind of common issues, but we don't know how to phrase it. Like, how do we talk to someone about that? And so I'm like, oh, like, let's just, let's just map it all out. Because- 100%. Any publishers listening, reach out to Shelley. This is needed in this world. I see your book just on shelves, just bold side branding. Oh, just Yeah, that would be amazing. So Thank needed. You. Thank so you. So needed. I love that. So I'm going to wrap this conversation up with, I'd love to know, what would be your first tip for somebody if they were going into a challenging conversation, their team, even honestly, this skills are so transferable, even a challenging conversation in their life. How do you go into a challenging conversation and still be kind? Yeah, yeah. It definitely comes down to your intention. So you spoke about Brene, her feedback, I'm ready to give feedback when checklist. And basically one of the things that the first question is when I'm ready to sit next to you, not across from you. So we need to make sure that we are ready to give the feedback, that we're not resentful towards someone, that we're actually able to have empathy and see it through their lens. So some of the warning signs I look out for is if you've got resentment, if you feel like you've got judgment, or if you're making harsh assumptions. 
So before you go into a feedback conversation, I want you to assume good intent. Assume that person is doing the best that they can and that they simply lack some feedback. So it's not that they're malicious. It's not that they're out to get you or ruin your business. It's that they simply weren't aware. And so you're bringing it to their awareness. So assume good intent, number one. The second thing you need to do is actually prepare. This is the step. I'm like, this is really basic, but a lot of people skip this step. They just kind of wing it. And I think if we're going to have a high stakes conversation, we should write some talking points because I want you to think about how do you want your message to be received? Just like if you were getting up and and giving a speech somewhere, you think about the audience. What does the audience need to hear from me? I want you to think about this person who I'm giving this feedback to, how can I frame this in a way that's going to help them hear it and help them receive it? So think that through. And the final thing is that you need to choose clarity over comfort. So be clear. Your message, like, so if you do so much amazing stuff on messaging, like how do you have a really clear brand message? It's the same with this stuff. How do you make your message really clear? I often see people, they try and sweeten it, so they water it down. and They use language like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's just something little. And I just was thinking about it and I just wondered maybe if you could look at doing this thing differently. (laughs) And I'm like, wait, what are you trying to say? Like, just be clear. (laughs) Just say, just say it. This is what I need and this is what the word is at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is what I expect from you. We're not comfortable saying that stuff. Mm. Hey, Steph, this is what I expect from you in future. But you know what? It's liberating for employees when they hear, what do you actually want from them? (laughs) Because often they don't get that clarity. So be clear, choose clarity over comfort. Those are the big things that if you've got a feedback conversation, do that. We have a tough conversations cheat sheet. So I think we might have it in the show notes or something that we can give. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. If you're happy to give it to us to give to our audience, that would be so amazing and so generous of you. Love to. Love to see people doing these conversations really well. Shelley, you are masterful at this. And anyone who is listening to this podcast who has some team members who are potentially underperforming or is feeling like there's a lack of culture in their team. Shell, there's so much I could talk about like that you do so masterfully. I'm just conscious of time, but there's so much that you could learn from Shelly with regards to how you can identify whether your team is good or great, how you can identify whether your culture needs some work. And so I highly recommend, please just go and binge as much as you can from Shelly. <laughs> and if you are in the Purpose and Profit Mastermind, you are going to get a little dose of Shell and Literally 30 minutes <laughs> from now so that, you know, you can learn this stuff because if you plan on building an empire, if you plan on growing a business, if you plan on leaving a legacy or being in leadership in any way whatsoever, these are the absolute critical foundations that you need in order to be able to grow that. So, Shell, you're an angel. All of the details will be in the show notes, guys. Thank you so much for jumping on with me today, Shelley. Thanks so much for having me, Steph. Guys, if you loved today's episode, I would love it if you could take a screenshot and tag myself and Shelly. All of our tags are in the show notes. So let us know what your biggest takeaway was. It was so nice to be here with you today. Babe, thank you for tuning into today's episode. It means the absolute world to have you here with me. If you want more, head to the show notes below to check out our latest free resources, along with the exclusive link for podcast listeners to book in a free 15-minute strategy session to find out how you can boom your biz.